of God's Word with you tonight, turn to Genesis chapter 41. Genesis chapter 41, and we will jump into the middle of an account of a man's life, the middle of an account of the man who's known as Joseph, his life. It happened again Saturday night to me, and really why I'm preaching on this passage is I turned on the TV to uh, ESPN, which I have not done in quite some time, but uh, turned it on and I saw the last eight seconds of the first half of a football game, and the score at the moment was 31 to nothing. Navy was getting beat by 31 points, and my mind immediately went to um, another football game a few years back, the Super Bowl, where the Atlanta Falcons were whipping up on the New England Patriots, and uh, how that game ended with the Patriots coming back in the fourth quarter and winning after they had been down 28-3 going into that fourth quarter. And I thought about Joseph's life and this sermon. And um, so I want to talk to you tonight as I look at a room mostly full of those of us who are in the second half of life. Now, second half of life, I know, Brother Tim Klein. At 47 years of age, I, you might think that I haven't made it there yet, but statistics state in the United States of America, I am over half of my lifespan old. Okay? Now, the Lord may bless and I may live to 177. Or he may curse and I live to 177. <laughs> but, in the second half of life, you and I have an opportunity. In the second half of this year, the third quarter, the fourth quarter of this year, um, you and I find ourselves in the midst of a, a year that we are just ready to get over with. Just ready to get over with. Um, and get back to, quote, normal, whatever normal is. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But uh, I know that most, if not all of us, are fed up with uh, this thing called COVID, and uh, we're ready to move on. It may not be ready to move on from us, but we are definitely ready to move on. Got me thinking about two people, and we'll get into uh, Genesis 41. Year was 1971, and uh, with uh, some money, and a number of investors, a man by the name of Fred Smith, started a small company called uh, Federal Express. Almost didn't make it. Finally did make it toward the end of that decade and thought everything was great. But then there was a downturn and he had a great idea. So he thought in 1984 he pumped in hundreds of millions of dollars this thing called Zap Mail that almost did him in again and FedEx again. But now they have rebounded. A little small company. 
and they bring in hundreds of millions, billions each and every year. And they are worth, that company is worth hundreds of billions. But then I thought about uh, this lady by the name of Mary Ash. Mary Ash found herself in a man's world a number of years before Fred Smith started FedEx. Mary Ash was working in the 50s, the 1950s at Stanley Home Products and she saw her frustration level go higher and higher and higher every time a man passed her up when she was working more than him, when she was more deserving of the next spot. And finally she just said, forget it. And she... Uh, retired from Stanley Home Products and started writing articles about business plans. She wrote these articles in, in newspapers of how women can start businesses. And uh, finally, after about two or three years of writing these regular articles, she's like, I'm writing my own business plan. And she started a small company that uh, at her death in 2000 or 2001, she had over 800,000 workers globally selling products known as the Mary Kay Company. What are you and I going to do with the second half of life? What are you and I going to do with the third and fourth quarter of the year if the Lord allows us that time? At the age of 17, Joseph, the favored son of Jacob, hated by his 11 brothers, all because he was his dad's favorite. It, it was nothing that he did. Scripture states there was really nothing that he did for them to start hating him. But they hated him. And in Genesis chapter 37, they saw him coming and they sold him into slavery. From slavery, he found himself in uh, a man's household and he was elevated to the chief slave over everything that he had only to be ransacked by one that I would call a sexual maniac, Potiphar's wife, thrown in prison, innocent, thrown in prison, and once again elevated to the chief spot of the prisoners. God is blessing, yet he is in a hard spot thinking that he has forgotten, thinking that he has been left behind, so to speak, and it's just halftime of his life. Genesis chapter 41, starting in verse 1, states this. Excuse me, verse 9 down through verse 16. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. Pause one second. What? Where, we're just jumping right in. I understand this, but what has happened? Well, before the chief cupbearer could go back to Pharaoh and remember his offenses, you and I need to know what those offenses were. A couple of years before that, there were two of Pharaoh's servants under Joseph in the prison. A cupbearer and a baker. 
They both came in. They both had dreams. The dreams happened the same night. The uh, cupbearer told Joseph the dream. Joseph said, all right, here's the answer to your dream. God showed me what the answer to your dream is. It is that in three days, Pharaoh is going to lift you back up and you will have your job back. And then the baker said, oh, well, that was a uh, good answer to a dream. Let me share my dream. And he shared his dream. And Joseph said, yeah, um, three days from now, you will also be lifted up. But guess what? Pharaoh is going to lift your head off your shoulders in three days. And when this happens, cupbearer, please don't forget me. And the cupbearer said, I will not forget you. Two years pass. The cupbearer has forgotten and Pharaoh has a dream. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants, put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of captain of the guard. We dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving us an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him up out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, and Joseph answered Pharaoh, It is not me. God's will, excuse me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. I want to share with you uh, three statements tonight. Um, two of them are found here, and then we'll read at the end of the chapter a third statement. But three statements that can change the, uh, the end of this year for you and for me. Three statements that can change the end of the game, so to speak, or the second half of life if you and I would recognize them. And you and I would live by them. The first is there in verse number 9. I remember my offenses. I remember my offenses. Question for you. Why is it so hard for you to say I was wrong? Why is it so hard for you and me to say I am sorry for what I said? I am sorry for what I did. Um... Please forgive me. Why is that the case in your life and my life? The cupbearer thought that he had messed up. And on one level he was right. He had. He had shared with Joseph, Joseph, I will not forget you. And he forgot him. But on the other hand, there was no way in the world that he forgot him. Can you just imagine? Okay, God, track with me for a second. God knew that about 17 years earlier, there was going to be a famine. And that famine was going to cover the whole of that world. 
And he needed someone to be in charge to not only take care of those in Egypt, but his children. So therefore, he worked through some terrible brothers to put a brother in the pit to sell him to a group of slave traders who took him and put him on the selling block who was sold to the captain of the guard, not just any captain of the guard, but Potiphar, the captain of the guard of the Pharaoh's army, and he would be in that prison for that amount of time to be in front of those two people so that two years after he was already supposed to get out and be recognized for some great stuff, they knew exactly where to find him. For this moment. Joseph wanted out of prison like any person wants. Joseph wanted to be recognized. Joseph wanted to have all the pain and all the hurt to subside. We'll get there in just a few moments. The chief cupbearer says, I remember my offenses today. Why is it so hard for us to say, I'm sorry? For you and me to say that we have wronged someone. For you and me to say, I was wrong in this situation, in this circumstance. I am sorry for the words that I have said to you, the actions that I have committed against you. I confess those to you. I confess those to the Father. And I repent. Why is it so hard? First and foremost, I think it's so hard because we have an enemy. And that enemy wants separation in homes. That enemy wants you to be separated from the Father and the relationship and the fellowship that you and I have with Him. He wants there to be rifts. And He will use everything that he possibly can to make those ribs larger. And so he says, you know, I mean, yeah, there were some rough words, but really how they acted, they deserved what you did. Yeah, it wasn't that bad, was it, Brian? I mean, really. I mean, you don't deserve to be here, Joseph. You did nothing wrong in this situation. Cupbearer. Sir, ma'am, may we remember that repentance, forgiveness, they are game changers. The first half of an issue changes when you and I say those three words, I am sorry, I was wrong, please forgive me. John writes it this way in 1 John chapter 1 verse 8 through chapter 2 verse 2. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, But when you and I sin, 
we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, meaning He took our place for our sins. He was the payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. When was the last time that you took a moment to... Stand before the co-worker. To stand before wife or husband. When was the last time, I, and I do not like to do it, when was the last time that you stood before your kids and said, you know what, uh, what you did was wrong, but I disciplined you at this level, and you did wrong at this level, and I should have disciplined you at this level and not at this level. I had to do that uh, two weeks ago. That's why it's fresh on my heart. Just letting you know. 16-year-old daughter, lover, disciplined her here instead of right here. Game changers are, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Second statement that will change our year and the rest of our days. For you and me to be reminded that God is working and he is inviting you and me into the work. God is working in 2020. He is working in Hernando. He is working all around us and he is inviting you into the work. In Genesis chapter 41, it is becoming clear to Joseph that, hey, God's working and you are inviting me into the work. I am in this prison cell, and in a moment, I am snatched up out of a pit. I am put under a shower head. I am clean shaven, and they are putting on me some great clothes so that I can stand in front of the most powerful man in the whole of the world. Why? Because he had a dream. And he wants to know if the dream was the Mexican that he had the night before, or if it meant something. And it meant something. And so Joseph is ushered in front of him. And do you see what Joseph says? Look at what Pharaoh says. Pharaoh says this in verse number 14 and 15. Uh, Pharaoh says... There in verse 15, he said to Pharaoh, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said that you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. At that moment, there was an instance to where Joseph could puff out his chest and say, yeah, yeah, I remember a couple years ago. Um, yeah, there was a cupbearer, your cupbearer, and there was a baker, your baker. They had dreams. Gave him the answer, you chopped his head off, you elevated him back to the spot. It's not what he says. Immediately, Joseph says, uh, yeah, I can't do it, but uh, let me just tell you this. God will give Pharaoh an answer. He will answer you to see if it was Mexican or if it actually means something. He will give you the answer. Immediately, Joseph does not take credit for anything that has happened. Immediately, he points that credit to God and says, God, you're working. Okay, I'm all ears. What do you want me to do? 
game changer for you and for me to see that God is working. For you and me not to be lulled to sleep by the mundane of every single work, responsibility, of every single day that passes and we're still seeing the same things come across this screen and that screen, seeing the same mask on everybody's face, being upset about those same masks, having to be, oh, do I need it before I go in this store? Ah, oh, who cares about it in this store? Oh, dead gummit, I got to go back to the car and get it because they care about it in this store. I know, we're, we're there, we're there. I'm preaching to the choir, I got it. But for us to understand that in the midst of this, for me to understand, in the midst of this, God is working. For Longview Point, for you, for me to understand that God is working and he is inviting us into the midst of his work. Joseph said to Pharaoh in verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows that you dreamed about, they are seven years. And the seven good ears are seven years. And the dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that Pharaoh, excuse me, that came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is, as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. God has shown you and me what he is about to do. He is working. He is calling men and women, boys and girls to himself. He's opening blind eyes, deaf ears to hear and to see him. And he is inviting you and me to be a part of that work. Might you and I see it? Might you and I join in the work? A writer from the 1600s, Owen Feltham, from the other side of the Atlantic, wrote these words. It's a halfway decent long quote, but I'll stop and pause for the last sentence because that is the kind of hook. Of all trees I observe, God hath chosen the vine, a low plant that creeps upon the helpful wall. Of all beasts, the soft and patient lamb. Of all fowls, the mild and guileless dove. Christ is the rose of the field and the lily of the valley. When God appeared to Moses, it was not in a lofty cedar, nor the sturdy oak, nor the spreading plain, but in a bush, a humble, slender, abject shrub. Here's the statement. As if he would, by these elections or choices, check the conceited arrogance of man. In just that moment when Pharaoh said, I heard that you could answer the dream. And Joseph said, oh, that's not me, Pharaoh, but God will give you an answer. In just that moment when you have the opportunity to be praised for something that you know you didn't do. It, it, it was a team effort at best, or at worst, it was somebody else. 
and you just got pointed out? What will we do in those moments? Joseph understood that God was working and he just wanted to join in the work. James and Peter both state in their letters that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Joseph never takes the credit, not as a son of Jacob, not as a slave in Potiphar's house, not as a prisoner, and not in front of Pharaoh. A third and final statement this evening comes at the end of the chapter, and um, I'm so grateful that uh, the chapter doesn't end with the answer to Pharaoh's dream, but uh, we fast forward sometime after Joseph is now in power. We fast forward. Pharaoh puts him in power. Nothing is out of his hand except the throne of Egypt itself. He gives him a wife. That wife gives Joseph two sons. And let's read chapter 41, verses 50 through 52. Before the year of famine, so there's been seven great years. Joseph has been the administrator of all administrators. He has saved all that grain. It is it's overflowed one, ten, a thousand barns ready for the seven years of famine. After, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, I wish it was just like Pamela, but it wasn't. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore them to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. I, I skipped over the translation of both of their names. But God gave him two sons before the famine came, and he named these two sons something extremely meaningful. Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all the hardship in all my father's house. Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Those two names might not mean much to you at first thought. But just walk with me for a second. Every time Manasseh walks around as a toddler... Um, we have a 15-month-old at my house now, and uh, we're starting over. Stop, or you're going to hit something. All I'm saying is, Tyler, stop, you're going to hit something. I don't want you to hurt, I don't want you to cry, I don't want you to mess up whatever's happening, right? But that's not what Joseph did. That's not how Joseph named his sons. He named his sons Manasseh and Ephraim. So every time that little toddler was running around the house, every time that little toddler was running away from him, he was reminded of what God has done and the hardship that God brought him through, the tough times of being sold by 11 brothers, being placed into a house and being accused of something that he had never done and being put in a pit and in a prison. And he says, God 
God, you have been so good. You have made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. So, so good. And not only that, you have made me forget my affliction. Third statement from this passage and this thought is healing happens so restoration might occur. Healing happens so restoration might occur. Um, you more than likely know the, the end of the account. The end of the account uh, is the statement that uh, he sees his brothers and um, he forgives his brothers and he says, I know what you did. You did it for evil, but God meant it for good. I, I don't know of many things that are, uh, are worse than what happened to Joseph. I don't know of many things outside of, of somebody just, just ending your life or ending that person's life for it to be worse than what happened to Joseph. Now, there are a couple of things, and we could go off on that, and, and, but, but just key in for a second. All that happened to Joseph, he comes to a point and he says, Hey, um, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I don't know what happened in the first half of your life. I don't know what happened in the 30 minutes before you walked in the door or the 30 years before you walked in the door tonight or the other years before you walked in the door. You might think there's no way that God can use me. Guess what? You're still breathing. God has a purpose for you. Your years aren't over. Your days aren't over, your game isn't over, and God is on the throne, and he wants you to be a part of his work. Brian, you just don't know. Is it worse than having brothers sell you? And say, oh, well, that's, that's the guy that got sold. No. You take these, those other brothers. They are the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, God's chosen people. And guess what? He used them day after day. Generation after generation. Why? So that they might be a blessing for the nations. And he desires to use you. You're invited to be a part of the work. I'm invited to be a part of the work. If you fast forward almost to that last statement... Genesis chapter 48, verses 3 through 6. Jacob, the grandfather, gets to see these boys. And he says, hey, uh, Joseph, these two boys are mine. The rest that you have, they'll be yours, but these two boys are mine. Bring them in here, and before I die, let me um, see them and let me bless them. And he does just that, and it is a glorious day. Healing happens so restoration might occur. Jacob receives these two boys as is of what Jacob did. The pain that put Joseph and Jacob, that they went through, it's softened by the joy of these two kids. Nineteen years ago, I saw a son, 
Actually, a grandson changed the heart of a grandfather. My father. As soon as my son was born and put in his arms as a wee little toddler, my father changed. It, it was night and day. For 50 years, he was a different man than he was when Nathan Charles Tillman was placed in his arms and he saw that first grandchild. When Jacob sees these two boys, it changes him. Time, healing, restoration occurs. And you and I don't always know, seldom do we ever know what that moment is before the moment happens. Ladies, the pain of child bearing soften when you see the face of that child. The pain of child-rearing parents is softened as well as we see and hug and love our kids and I hear that grandkids are greater than kids. I know why, because you ultimately say, hey, take them home. Not my problem. Ultimately, the way that restoration comes about is through forgiveness. The 13 years in the pit in slavery or prison did not remain with Joseph as he entered into marriage and becoming a dad. Can, can you see that? Can you see every time he says Manasseh or every time he says Ephraim and how he is thankful for every moment that he has gone through, and every moment that he has gone through means something. In closing, uh, let me take you to one more passage and two more thoughts. Got three minutes. It's going to be hard for a preacher. No, I'm just kidding. Second Corinthians chapter four, verses sixteen through eighteen states this: So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What light momentary affliction is Paul speaking of? Light momentary affliction like being stoned and left for dead. Light momentary affliction like being beaten. Light momentary affliction like being shipwrecked. Light momentary affliction like um, being left wrecking a career. He, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was right under Gamaliel. It was about to be his and the whole thing taken away. One afternoon outside of Damascus when God showed up. Light momentary affliction in the life of Joseph being sold into slavery, growing up into manhood in a foreign culture, light momentary affliction under the roof of a, as I stated, a sexual maniac thrown into prison for being innocent, being forgotten by family, light momentary affliction might be your boss. It's not the person he or she should be. Your spouse is way different now than they were when you both said, I do. 
light momentary affliction, when your kids are rebellious for a season or many seasons, light momentary affliction, when you and I wake up every single morning and the culture is darker now than it ever has been in our lives, when freedoms are being snatched away, when neighbors look and words and homeowner association rules and laws that are on the books tell you you can't put this in your yard at this time. Light momentary affliction. What does Paul state? They pale in comparison and it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're here, and then they are gone. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. The glory that is coming is greater than any affliction that you and I might find ourselves in in these days. The second half of your life, the third and fourth quarter of your game, might come with it with huge Huge trials and tribulations. But those things pale in comparison with the glory that is coming. There is one who has given his life for you. There is one who has loved you even when you did not love bring about. And he paid it by his blood, by his life, because he flat loves you and wants you a part of his family. Not, not his team, his family. As a son and a daughter. 